Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, just uh, before we watch Max McLean. So last week you saw Alex, Alec McGinnis, right? So I figured we'd, you know, switch it up a little bit. All right, so remember a few weeks ago there are kind of three things to tickle your fancy in terms of understanding the gospel, Mark. We have comics, which is one of my favorites. So we're in the bottom left-hand corner there. Uh, yeah, well, it even says number four, chapter four. There you go. All right, and then, uh, then you have the nerdy outline with a lot of information on there. From today, there's also a painting, which is in Pastor Bukes's office. Not an original. At least I don't think so. I don't think it's original Rembrandt. Uh, and then we have, and then we have our uh, dramatic, or not? When I say dramatic, it sounds a little bit more emotive or emotional. But it, it's a guy telling the story of Jesus, literally using the words of the Bible. So, um, as we watch this, it's just going to be chapter 4. So, we'll cover a little bit of yes, uh, last week's, or whatever, two weeks ago's material, but we're going to just do all chapter 4, because that's what we're going to finish today, whether we like it or not. <laughs> um, and so, as you watch it, you know, just uh, you know, see if anything surprises you about how he tells the story of chapter 4. Um, and then, yeah, then we'll bring it up, and then we'll op- open the Bible. If you want to follow along, turn to Mark chapter 4. Especially if you have uh, the ESV. Remember, he basically follows the ESV, which is our Bible that we typically use here. Okay. Hopefully uh, everything goes well. All right, can we, uh, someone turn the lights on? Okay, the, uh, did anyone notice he made a, he left something out on accident? We can forgive him. I mean, he did the whole thing from memory, so. Um, pay attention to what you hear. It's uh, from verse 24, I believe. So, there you go. That's the one thing. He said a few things like a little different than what's actually in the scripture, but that one he left out, which is, Unfortunate because that's kind of a big deal. But um, all right, anything stick out of uh, out of it of his interpretation of because you know the way he tells the story is a way of interpreting it. Um, so anything that stick out surprised you, irritated you? Yes. It was, yes. Yeah, so he was shouting. Yep, that's true. Now, of course, he was shouting. I mean, there was a reason why he was shouting. So he's, he's telling this story about when Jesus is teaching to the crowds. But I mean, if it was shouting as if he wasn't telling a story. Yeah, he was acting it out. Yep. Yep, that's exactly right. So that will be one of the big differences between... Max McLean and Alex McGinnis. Yep. <clears throat> Absolutely. That will be the, I mean, that will be throughout the entire gospel. You'll notice that. So, 
I think I might have mentioned that last time too. This is definitely is a, a more, yeah, like he's acting rather than telling. So, anyways, um, but of course the yelling does serve a purpose, and that's that's part of the th- the thing is that. Um, Okay, anything else? I don't want to get ahead of myself, so. Anything else from the video? I mean, the part that got me was his, uh, the way he tells the story, uh, the disciples' reactions to Jesus, right? Again, that's similar to what we saw, I mean, not that you remember Max McLean's telling of the Gospel of Mark, but that's often what happens in his telling is that he has a certain kind of characterization of the disciples, um, which is actually very um, true to the way the Gospel of Mark tells the story, is that the disciples, I don't want to say they're not one-dimensional, but at the same time they have a certain way of acting that is kind of pr- typical. So um, even though I found it a little cheesy the way he did it, but it's, it's yeah. Um, anything else? Donna? I, what, struck, what struck me was that when he said, he knows not how. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That, that actually struck me, Donna. So Donna said the way how he talked about how the seed grows, or the way he acted it out. Um, same way. Uh, I did like the way he kind of kind of showed in stages the growth of the seed. And, and so that, that's kind of the interesting thing about, you know, watching the video is that you can read it on a page and you have a certain way of, of understanding it. But then when you, when you hear it from him, I mean, it's the same words, right? But yet at the same time, something strikes you differently and, and you learn something. Which, which is actually related to today's chapter four. All right, Krista. Um, I was always a little bit angry that Jesus said um, to, the, to the crowd, um, they don't understand, but I would like to explain it to you. And is that, uh, that uh, That's right. the pastor <laughs> should explain the, the word? Yeah. We are not going astray. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. You know, it seems, so Jesus... Uh, you just paid attention to the words. Jesus is very confusing in chapter 4. So um, we'll just get started with chapter 4. Um, so Krista asks a question as it relates to uh, the first, kind of, the, well, a few sections. But um, we're going we're to mainly talk about verses 21 through through 41. But, um, well, let's just, yeah, let's just start with 21. Okay. And Jesus said to them, a lamp is, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which echoes what he had said earlier about the parables. So in this parable here, Jesus is basically saying anything that's, I mean, the point is not to hide from people, but to reveal. Well, when Jesus tells parables, it's, it's a paradox, 
meaning it's seemingly two uh, um, competing ideas that are held together, that are both truthful. And so when Jesus, I think I actually wrote this down. Oh, okay. So while listening to Jesus is relatively easy, at this point in the gospel, Jesus has a lot of crowds around him. There's a lot of crowds. I mean, obviously, right? He has to get in a boat because there's, he has, there's no room next to the sea, so he teaches the parable of the sower to a whole crowd, and he's on the boat. So there's a lot of people listening to him. And his miracles have been seen by a lot. Okay, so it's easy to hear him, but understanding might be confused. I mean, that, that, that's the tricky part. So when Jesus says to keep things hidden, he's not saying to keep them to keep it that way. But he actually wants to hide things in order to reveal them. I'm not going to show this. Uh, I have another great video, but I'm not going to show it. It's, maybe I'll show it some other time. It's uh, from a movie, uh, The Mill and the Cross, which at one time I made mention this in a sermon. So if it sounds familiar, that might be why. It's a, uh, a film, a boring film, I like. I like boring films. About Peter Bruegel, which I, th- I think you had an image of his from a few weeks back, right? So he has a way of kind of review, you know, showing what the Gospel of Mark does. Um, it is Jesus' uh, road to Calvary. Jesus is carrying a cross. And the scene is, uh, it's kind of a big scene, and... The movie is, is about this painting, but, but this artist making this painting. So it, it takes back, you know, takes place, whatever, 400 years ago. And um, the patron is talking to Peter Bruegel about the painting because he's kind of showing the patron, the guy who paid for the painting, you know, this is what, my, this is what I'm going to do. And he talks about how Jesus is like the center of a spider web where the entire painting holds together. But the part you would think that is the most important is precisely the one that's hidden. And the patron says, well, why, why, are, you, why are you making it hard to see what's most important? And, that, and Peter Brugel says, because it's the most important thing. So what happens in this film, you realize, is that he's hiding this in order to make the point that it is the most important thing. And in the Gospel of Mark, it's very, very similar. Now, for a lot of us, that, that's confusing. Why would you make it hard? Well, what is the problem with people so far in the Gospel of Mark? Who are the ones who understand who Jesus is so far in the Gospel of Mark? We've talked about this before, but no people understand who Jesus is. The demons are the only ones. And so, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus will be accused of what? Yeah, having a, having a demon or working with the demons. Well, that makes complete sense. Well, because the demons are the ones who are calling him the Son of God, and that's blasphemy, so... Now, people who say that, though, 
are not under, they don't, Jesus is publicly taught. So Jesus doesn't, so, and then the other time though too is that when Jesus has uh, performed all these miracles, what do Jesus want to, what, what, do, what do Jesus, what do people want to do with Jesus? This would have been a few weeks ago. He, he, this, when the boat was introduced earlier, is that people were pressing in on him and the image was chaotic. They, everyone wanted to have their, you know, everything. So this idea of popular, being popular and being a miracle worker is turning into chaos. So Jesus wants people to understand. But they actually have to be willing to listen first in order to understand. And that's precisely why he hides. Which is then in the next verse. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. So basically Jesus says, if you're going to come with me, you come to me seeking anything besides what I have, you will not get me. You will not understand me. So the hiddenness of Jesus actually reveals who Jesus is. And we said this before in the Gospel of Mark, which, but by the way, that, that whole point is just weird, right? I mean, that's just not how we normally work. Um, you know, because, we yeah, we want to get our point across. And Jesus does get his point across. The one spot, oh, I think I wrote it down. Yeah, the obscurity of the word ultimately reveals itself in Jesus' relevatory death. <laughs> Another way is saying, you don't get it until Jesus is dead. When Jesus dies, the only person, the only person in the Gospel of Mark who knows that Jesus is truly the Son of God is, in fact, the centurion. And it says in the Gospel, well, let's just turn to it, Mark 15, verse 39. Okay, verse 39. When the centurion who stood facing him, that's Jesus, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. What, how how did this man come to know that Jesus was the Son of God? in the way he died. So, Jesus, okay, so in the Gospel of Mark, when we come to this section, there's a lot of, um, again, kind of irony or paradox. Jesus is mocked as the king of the Jews. They say it mockingly, but what are they actually doing? Proclaiming the truth. When Jesus sits on the cross, what is Jesus sitting on? Think in terms of power. His throne. So, that's, but again, that's all hidden. Unless you have the ears to hear, you won't, you won't understand that. So when Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, who is he actually talking to? 
in this set this section. And it's a little confusing. So I mean, there's two there's two possibilities. There's two groups of people. The crowds and who else? Yeah, the disciples. He's probably talking mainly to the disciples. Because they have been given what? Well, from the chapter four. Well, yeah, that's he's been they've been given hearers, but what does he say? Um, in verse eleven, yeah, oh, good job, Shirley. Yeah, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Now, again, this is before the death and resurrection. So once once Jesus rises from the dead and then sends out the twelve. What are they doing? They're going to proclaim and give ears to, to people, basically, to hear the message. But it's, it's precisely the 12 that have been given a preview in order to interpret, to interpret all this for, for, for the future. So the disciples should, should be able to hear this and get it. And how do we know that? Well, at the end of the section, what does Jesus ask them? In verse 38. I'm sorry. 40. Why, why are you so afraid? It could be translated, why don't you have any courage? Have you still no faith? So what does Jesus expect? They've been given the secret of the kingdom of... They've been explain, everything's been explained to them, which goes to Christus' question. There's a presumption that if Jesus were to explain things correctly, then we would all get it. As if Jesus is broadcast, there's something wrong with the broadcast, right? So there's broadcast and reception. I think maybe Pastor Bruzek's talked this way before. When we don't understand, we normally throw the responsibility on who? For, not, for us not understanding. The broadcaster. Oh, Jesus. I mean, if you only said it better, then I'd get it. That's a precarious place to be. But Jesus says so, though. Here, he basically says, pay attention to what you listen to. He's telling you, I'm saying exactly what needs to be said. You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pay attention. <laughs> so, which is, a, uh, uh, I can't remember if I wrote that down. Yeah. Yeah, okay, there you have it. It's the broadcast and reception. Jesus, Mark makes the point that Jesus' broadcast is exactly the way it's supposed to be, but the person's reception isn't, and that's why he wants, pays attention. Which is, which is really important for us because um, you've got, you know, you got several kinds of people who come to church. Those who think they know everything. I don't need to come to Bible study. I, don't, I, already, I already know these stories. Well, they're, they're not, they're, their reception is not working. Then you have the other aspect, too, the over, being overwhelmed. Holy smokes. I mean, look how big this book is. How can I, how can I know all this stuff? I mean, I, I, read, I read smaller books. I have a tough time learning those, so how am I going to learn this? 
So you, but but then you have the the other ones who say, uh, yeah, I don't know anything, um, but I, I want to, to know. So the idea. So Jesus actually, when he says, "Pay attention," in verse twenty-four, five. 24, pay attention to what you hear. It's kind of goofy because in the Greek, he says, he, okay, when you hear, you use your ears, right? But he has a word for looking. So look out for what you hear or see what you hear. Well, that's on purpose. Jesus wants you, it's, so it's not just about using your ears, but your eyes and ears, which then gives the idea of it's your whole body. So it's an open heart, open mind, open soul to what Jesus is giving. Because Jesus doesn't require, I think I might ask that question. Jesus doesn't require perfect knowledge or perfect faith. Full understanding. Does Jesus require full understanding? Absolutely not. That's the point. He's not, he's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't want, he doesn't, he's, first of all, he knows you can't know everything. And he's not expecting you to, uh, you know, reach a level so that you're part of the club. All right? And the disciples are good examples of that in the Gospel of Mark. They don't quite ever get it. But yet, those are precisely the people that Jesus wants to go tell the message. So that's nice. I mean, for us who, who uh, you know, overwhelmed by it. Like me. I always, I always get overwhelmed. Okay. I think I was responding to somebody's question. So, all right, well, here we go. Yeah, so paradox. Yeah, so, oh yeah, so when Jesus... Okay, if Jesus didn't really want them to hear or listen, why would he say anything in the first place? Right? Yeah, so, I mean, this is where, so when Jesus is saying, I'm going to speak in parables, he's not trying to hide things, because there's a better way of doing that, not saying anything to anybody. But he's trying to make sure that they understand who he really is and how his kingdom works, because that's the problem. People are expecting this guy to come and, and kick butt by getting rid of the Romans, setting up the earthly kingdom. But Jesus is, is doing something different. Yes, Aaron. Like talking about the irony, um, it's really interesting like, in, the two, in the two statements that you have. Yeah. Like how the centurion Right. Yep. exactly right. But it's like those two statements right next to each other. Like, that's, I'm very that's very fascinating that you saw that. Because in when Jesus is on the cross, 
So Jesus says, pay attention to what you listen to. There's seeing and hearing. And, and it's really driving towards this crucifixion scene where things will be, you'll, you'll know exactly what's happening. So while Jesus is on the cross, there's a bunch of seeing, seeing and hearing verbs. And it's, it's for that very reason. So they're seeing, but not seeing. They're hearing, but not hearing. And then you have this centurion who sees and hears. So that, that's a little confusing, right? So he saw how he breathed his last. When you, uh, there's a couple ways of understanding how someone breathes. Oh, you can see him. You can see my chest go up and down, right? But what's the other way that you do it? Yeah, you put, you put it up next to your... So the centurion actually fulfills what Jesus asks in this. So pay attention to what you hear. You also feel it that way. Well, that, and that's exactly right. That's right. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like this was meant to be written that way. <laughs> almost. <laughs> well, that goes back to my original point, though, is that you can watch it. You can watch it on this film. You can read about it in a comic. You can read about it in the book here. You can read some nerdy notes, but there's always more to it. So great. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I just was wondering, you know, when, um, after Jesus died and everything, um, and historically, the, um, the apostles, they were still at least many years in Jerusalem together. Right. Uh, is it uh, that they are just uh, putting together that everybody could understand? Yeah, well, there's a lot of people that need to hear it right there, right? Yeah, but in, in words that everybody uh, is... Un- yeah, well, uh, yeah, so after... I mean, so Acts is really kind of the image or the picture of what Krista's asking about. And what happens in Acts, right, is Pentecost comes. And immediately after Pentecost, what does Peter do? He preaches. And so whatever is... So the, the insight of the Holy Spirit or the revelation of the Holy Spirit then empowers them to speak. But Jesus, what does Jesus say to them, though? He says, you're going to go to Jerusalem. So they're, they're just fulfilling what Jesus says. So, you know, were they preparing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were preparing for this. Um, so there's a historical aspect to it. Like, how did they get from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth with, you know, without the New Testament, Right. Well, they have a lot of people in Jerusalem that are asking, yeah, okay, I'm willing to hear you out, but you've got to show me how is Jesus the Messiah. So that's, that's what Peter does. He, he exegetes, well, not that you would know this, but so in, in Peter's sermon after the, uh, Acts 2, he, he actually recites Joel 2. He says, hey, this is about Jesus. Um, and then in the Gospel of Mark, too, I, we haven't done any of that hardly, is that um, there's a background, Old Testament background to all the Gospel of Mark. I haven't really done any of that because that's, oof, that gets a little too, uh, yeah. You're deep in the heart of Nerdville when you do that. But you can do that, you can do that on your own. 
So, so yeah, so, so yeah, Krista, basically what's happening in, in those few decades after Jesus' resurrection or after Pentecost is that they are using the Old Testament to tell the story of Jesus, and as they are doing it, people are, you know, they're starting to write these, these things down and, and use them as, uh, you know, sermons or, yeah, sermons. So, in fact, that, that goes to another question is, I think I asked this at, after each parable, Yeah, so on the back of the first page. Why would Mark tell this parable about the lamp? What sort of community needs to hear this? Because, I don't know if it was said last time, but, you know, uh, there's a lot of parables that Jesus say that are not in the Gospel of Mark. There's a lot of teaching that Jesus doesn't have in the Gospel of Mark. But Mark chose these parables to say, like, you know, he didn't, he didn't talk about the rich man and Lazarus in the Gospel of Mark. Well, why not? So, when you read this, so what kind of community needs to hear this? Well, a community that's trying to figure out what in the world Jesus is saying. And the kind of community that is... Um, hearing a lot of different voices um, that, are, that are claiming certain authority. So you have, you have a young community that's being, okay, so it goes back to the original, original class. The Gospel of Mark, probably written in Rome. I mean, kind of, yeah, formulated in Rome, Italy, which is where the emperor, the king of the world, ruled. And they're, they're probably facing a lot of questions and persecutions because um, there's a good chance Christians are being arrested at this time. Definitely persecuted. And so you have a lot of people saying, hey, man, why, you know, why, don't, why, why, would, why do you want to listen to Jesus? Um. But then you also have a lot of people who are saying something different about Jesus. Not so much renouncing Jesus, but, you know, you really don't have to do that. You really don't have to face these persecutions. So you, they need to hear, they need to be, they need to have a, a revelation so that they can uh, stick with it, basically. But there's a bunch of other things happening going on, too. All right. Okay, the whole point is, though, in order to understand, you've got to keep listening. You've got to stick with Jesus. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean anything right now because nobody gets it. Only Jesus. Okay. So, I, I find that very comforting. <laughs> All right. Aaron. Well, I was just going to say the, the same thing. I, like, I find that really comforting because I, I feel like I kind of grew up um, in a Yeah, right. Like, as long as you could just... This is maybe a little bit unfair, but it felt a little bit like, ultimately, if you could just study enough and learn enough and hear enough good teaching and, like, acquire enough knowledge about God that you would just keep being sanctified. Right. Sanctification came through knowledge. Yeah, right. Well, I... Yeah. The Bible. And I mean, obviously, it's good to learn your scriptures and... I feel like it, it sometimes turned into this thing where it was like, 
if I just read enough and study enough and hear enough, then I'm going to be, I'm going to be better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, Aaron's yeah, Aaron's, and I, I actually make a note of that at the very bottom of that front page. Under, uh, I should say, understanding Jesus's word isn't an emotional exercise, which is the other side of the coin that Aaron just, or an academic exercise, which is what I was, what I, that's basically what Aaron was saying, or what I, I wanted to say, to echo what Aaron said. So. When Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear, it's not a strictly academic exercise. And the reason why we know that is because he uses, Mark uses a seeing word for hearing. And so you combine these two things into one to give, to give a more robust understanding of both, actually. So it's not a completely academic exercise. At the same time, you have a, a flip side of what Aaron talks about is... Um, Following Jesus is, is uh, I have a very strong faith as long as I feel it feels good. So you have, you have, you'll have a certain time where people will say, my faith isn't doing so well, or like we're in a desert right now. It feels stagnant. Um, just, just think about those words. When was Jesus' faith... Um, not tested, but when when did Jesus's faith, for lack of a better term, grow the most? In the wilderness. So it's actually those are precisely the moments where your faith is growing the most. Parts where you feel stagnant. Both of those, the academic exercise or the emotional exercise, misses the point, because it is, and I use the word exercise, which. I, it's not a good word to use. And I, I didn't. I frankly didn't didn't change it. So I should. We could talk about how I should use a better word. But um, it's it's a fully human thing. Your faith is about your 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 to be fully human. So um, yeah. So so your faith isn't lived just between your ears, and it's not just lived within your heart. It's your whole. It's your whole self. And so that's why. Jesus keeps telling you to keep following. At the end, in the gospel, uh, I mentioned that I'll keep talking about the ending a lot. In Mark, at Mark 16, when the disciple, when um, the women go to the tomb, we just heard this on Easter. They go to the tomb. They meet the young man. They're freaking out. Where you know, where is Jesus? He says, "Hey, you're not. Where he's not here." Which is, I think, is always fine. That's that's, that's another paradoxical revelation. You're looking for Jesus, and you know he's alive because he's not here. <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? Oh, hey. You get that in the Gospel of John, too. When, uh, the, the, well, the, the, when John goes into the tomb, he looks into the tomb and he believes. There's, there's nobody there. So it's kind of funny. All right. Anyways, um, so, yeah, so, so, but what does the guy in the tomb say to them? Go to Galilee, and there you'll see Jesus, just like he told you. Okay, first they're going to have to they're going to have to know this in their brain. 
and we want to talk about the human heart. Like, I mean, what I, that would be just an emotional roller coaster of a trip, walking three days. So, but you only can get there by your whole your whole self. You can't get there by your heart. And you can't get there by your mind. You, your whole body's got to go. And then that's when you experience the resurrection. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Not just the brain, not just the heart, the whole, the whole dealio. Okay. Mustard seed. Let's go on to the next. Well, actually, just not the mustard seed, I guess. Seed growing. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I like this one because I like to garden. Um, oh, we should just move quickly here. So this, seed, this, this uh, parable is very interesting because of a variety of things. The, king, the, the growth of the kingdom of God is always based on God's prerogative. The word by itself actually is automatic, like it grows automatically, which creates a mysterious or hidden working of the seed, which echoes the, the miraculous. This is, this is interesting because basically when, what Jesus is telling here is that the growth of the kingdom of God is a miracle. And that's, that's the imagery, which I just love. I love that idea. The best language to use when it comes to the kingdom of God is the same language as miracles. Which is, uh, is uh, you know, um, I think we probably, probably told the story before, but John Kleinig at a pastor's conference several years ago um, our district president kind of was lamenting the shrinking of the district, the amount of people in the district, and well, if if if, if everyone knows knows uh, John Kleinig, he he didn't like that, and he immediately stood up and took over the microphone. Very nicely, of course. If you know, he's very very nicely. But he wasn't going to let that sit because of this very this this uh, parable of the seed. He uh, and then he relayed a story of his own experience with this kind of nonsense about lamenting, L- lamenting something uh, that wasn't under their, your control, anyways. Um. So, so he, uh, the story he retells in, in Australia, there was, there was a couple pastors conventioned to one another about how people are leaving the church. And, and, uh, but that church down the street has lots of people. And So John Kleinick said, whoa, 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 wait a second, guys. The miracle isn't that that street down the church has you know, thousands of people. The miracle is that one person showed up to your church this last Sunday. That is the miracle. Because outside the work of the Holy Spirit, that, that, that doesn't happen. Okay. The parable of the seed, the growth of the seed is exactly the same way. The seed just comes up. I don't know how. But 
I can see things, though. The leaf, the ear, the grain in the ear. So even though it's God's prerogative, that doesn't remove me or annihilate me from, the, from this um, process. But rather, I see this process as, as gift to me. So what happens, the farmer, what happens? When the time is right, he gets to, get, he gets to receive the, the harvest. So, so anyway, so when John Kleinig told that story at, at our pastor's conference, now I heard that already. So I was excited to see what would happen. <laughs> and uh, let's say no one, no, one talk, no one talked after that. It was a very quiet room. But it was great. I loved it. It was so wonderful to hear a guy who says, we, we are called to be faithful to God's word, and God will grow. So what the challenge was, where are you in this situation? Are you the wise farmer that pays attention to the soil, that pays attention to the weeds, that pays attention to the water and the sun? And, or are you the farmer that says, ah, that's not up to me, so I'm just going to let it go? Frankly, the, 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 the John Kleinig was challenging that sort of attitude. <laughs> the attitude where you're hiding behind, well, if it's just God's work, then I don't have to do anything. Well, that disembodies you from your relationship, which goes back to what Aaron said, right? Our, our Christian faith is our whole, is our, we know we have faith, we know we believe when we are living the life of faith. Holly. Um, just tending what has been given to you. That's exactly right. That's, that's a way better way to say it. Okay. Um, again, what sort of community needs? Well, I already described the community. Um, now, if we are... Hmm, let's just talk about the painting in the back. Let's skip ahead. To the end. All right, this is a very nice painting. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a Rembrandt. You know, so whether you like it or not, there's plenty of people who will tell you it's a very nice painting. Okay. Um, this, this painting was echoed in the, the, the uh, Max McLean thing. So when Max McLean told the story of the, of the sea, what was the lighting? It pitch black, right? And then when Jesus, and then when he, you know, when Jesus says, "Peace, be still," or you know, "Be quiet, calm down," or whatever, what happens? The light came on. So in this painting, on the right side is what darkness. On the left side is light, revealing the moment where Jesus is about to calm the storm. So it's a, but of course, where is Jesus? So is Jesus in the light or in the darkness? In the darkness. Oh, I'm, yes, I'm sorry. So can you see Jesus is on the, the, he's on the lower right-hand side of the boat, I guess. I mean, I'm not sure how to describe where he is. He's down there. He, he's, he's down here. He's got a little small halo around him. And part of that's just the print job. But, but he is in the darkness. 
So, um, yeah, everyone's freaking out. So, you see him down there? And the boat, of course, is leaning towards way, which way? Yeah, it's leaning towards the darkness. It's a very, it's a very good image because uh, uh, the disciples have been told the secret of the kingdom of God. Everything's been explained to them privately by Jesus. But yet, at the end of this section of the Bible, are they in the light or are they in the dark? They're in the dark, right? They don't even know who in the world Jesus is. And, and so much so, they're afraid. Who is this? It echoes the question that was asked earlier by the crowds who were amazed at Jesus' healing. What is this? A new teaching. Even the spirits obey him. Now the uh, disciples say the same thing. But this is a uh, kind of a hinge moment in the Gospel of Mark because even though Jesus talked about parables, now things are going to start to change. And Miracles like the calming of the sea will happen. In fact, the next in chapter 5 is he heals the man with the demon, Jairus' daughter, and then you got the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, you, things are now becoming very public. So even though Jesus t- just says, hey, I'm going to teach all these things in obscurity <laughs> that are going to be obscure, well, I'm, uh, the things are coming out now. And this is just the beginning of this. Jan. I think the blessing Right. In the darkness, it's like the poem where there's only one set of footprints. Yeah, right. The, because he's the footprints, yeah. That's the point here. Absolutely. Is that he's there. He doesn't walk away from us. We may walk away from him, but he's always willing to be next to us. Yes, and just uh, I, I think I have I have plenty of little notes on on what Jan just said in here. Um, is that th- that is why Jesus is kind of bummed out at the end of this? Because Jesus sleeps in the storm because he he trusts in the heavenly Father. Because God loves you, you can sleep well at night. And uh, you actually have this echoed throughout the Psalms. You know, so it's funny, and I think that's part of the thing about Jesus, too, is like, hey, man, it's already, it's already in the Bible, man. Like, come on. So, um, yeah, the, the, so the storm, in fact, the sea in the Gospel of Mark is kind of chaotic. It's, it's kind of the area of the, the demonic. And so, as we already know, Jesus went into the desert, the area of the demonic, and he conquered it. So when you're with Jesus and you head into the storms, yeah, you should be able to sleep at night. And um, so Jesus rebukes the storm, tells it to be quiet, just like he does the demons. He rebukes the demons, tell them to be quiet. Um, and then everything's peaceful, calm. Carol, and then... Okay. But, yeah, when I read this, you read this, and you look at all the stuff that the lack of faith of the disciples, but this thought just comes to me. But they asked, well, aren't you going to do something? I mean, it wasn't, 
Well, I think actually, what do they what do they actually ask him? Don't you care that we're perishing? Yeah, but I mean, so it's not, they're not really asking for him to do anything. But but it's well with that. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean, but I don't know if that's actually true or not. Because I don't think they actually think. See, I don't think he. They. I don't think they believe he can actually calm the storm. Until he does it. Well, yeah, no, no. They're asking about him caring, and this is true. Yeah, no, no. So, yeah, there's a chance that they could. It, it's insinuate, yeah, like it's implicit in their their uh, question. But as I kind of put in the outline, is that there's there's two questions, two two commands, or or you know, hey God, don't you care about me? And then God returning, hey man, don't you don't you believe in me? That's very that's very important for us because I've had this conversation. I mean, I, I had this explicit conversation with uh, one, a family member of a deceased parish parishioner here from several years ago, and they said, to, "I might have told this before." Um, when I get to heaven, I got a lot of questions for for God uh, related to this deceased, you know, this this person dying. I said, "You know, yeah, that's good, that's good." But have you ever thought about whether God has any questions for you? Um, and this this woman, she didn't talk to me after that. No, I I I and I actually I meant it in a way for this woman to kind of like to calm down a little bit because there was a lot of like anger about stuff where I was like, whoa, mis, misguided anger here. Um, this this you know so this woman had a lot of unfound anger and and she just. She just never really imagined that, hey, God's going to have a question for me too. And that's what we see in the, the storm. But Jesus' question is one of, of uh, and, and I think Max McLean does a really good job of expressing it. Like, it's sadness, but not a sadness of, like, disappointment, but like, hey, don't you, I, I love you. Don't you love me? I mean, that would be another way of saying it. Do you guys love me? Yeah. So, um, all right, we got, we're over. Well, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, uh, chapter 5 next week.